Hello. In this final episode of the first series of Future Thinking, we end with an obvious area of discussion, asset management. What will the industry look like in 5, 10 or 20 years time? In fact, perhaps more pressing, what will it look like in a post-COVID world? To help me better understand the broader challenges, as well as several company-specific concerns, is Artisan Partners Chief Executive Officer, Eric Colson. In this chat, Eric dials in from San Francisco to discuss how his company was able to quickly pivot to remote working and what longer-term lessons this period has taught him. We also move on to talk about the role of ESG, what plans were potentially delayed by the coronavirus outbreak, and how culture has become a critical factor for both company-wide success and also attracting new talent. Enjoy! Welcome to this latest episode of Future Thinking with me, Chris Lully, and my guest today is Eric Colson, the CEO of Artisan Partners. Thank you for joining me, Eric. Thank you for having me, Chris. So it's always worthwhile just checking where you're calling in from, what the situation is where you are. It's been a fast-moving news cycle. I've spoken to people from Hong Kong. I've spoken to people in Holland. I've spoken to people all across experiencing a different world at the moment. Where are you and how are you finding things? Well, I'm in the United States and specifically in the San Francisco area. And I am currently uh, working at home today. I think that's going to be, unfortunately, the foreseeable future. But it's an interesting thing. And it's somebody, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you and somebody of your role is I've covered a huge array of people in this future thinking series. We've spoken to neuroscientists, spoken to futurists, spoken to ESG experts. But we are for an asset management audience. And one person we haven't spoken to is somebody who's going to drive an asset management company forward. So if we could use COVID-19 as a kickoff point, what from this period do you think is going to shape the way artisan partners and maybe even the industry adapts and moves forward? It's a it's an interesting uh, environment that we're in that usually either acts as a catalyst or uh, suppresses a trend. And you know, good or bad, we're uh, like a lot of professional service firms um, where your assets are your people. Uh, we've adapted quickly and we've established a, a good rhythm until we have to go back to the offices or need to go back. Um, and you know, as, as a people business, um, you know, we, we've adapted quite well working at home. And you, know, you really start questioning how you interact and with, without really uh, interacting with large gatherings or groups or offices. Um, you know, we spent more of our time with one-on-one meetings or smaller groups and it's uh, allowed you to go deeper into specific relationships and really think about uh, how people will interact in the in the future in an asset management uh, business, um, and I, I think uh, you know, we've adapted quite nicely because we we established our firm in the '90s, and in the '90s there's two big trends going on. Uh, one was around how people worked, just the free agency. Uh, the other trend that we really caught on was uh, open architecture and how. Um, sales models work, but if I if I focus on the free agency and the people side, uh, back in the '90s, you know, people really had two options: uh, they would go work for a large integrated organization. Uh, usually, it was in a large city. Uh, it was in one location. There was a house view. There was a, a CIO. There was central research department where large groups got together and collaborated and shared ideas. And it was a fairly monolithic group um, all rowing in the same direction. And if you didn't want to work in that environment, you usually just went out and started your own firm. 
But then you were running a business and you're out there having to deal with building legal and office space and marketing. And uh, what we saw in the 90s was there was a lot of talent that really just wanted to sit in the corner, be left alone, have a differentiated view and work in small groups. And we've created nine autonomous groups that act in this manner. And I think this trend, um, because of, uh, of, of what's going on with the with the pandemic is, is getting people to really think about where do I need to work and how, how do I want to set up my team? And I, I think it really benefits our model. Well, I was going to say, you touched upon several points that I was going to bring up because one was this idea of having these autonomous teams. I know you have value guys, you have emerging market guys, and they all do sit physically different because I think we, we spoke last time, the, the likes of Lewis Kaufman sit in San Francisco, but then you also, it's a Wisconsin based company. So there's people there, but there's also people in other locations. Has that actually made it easier to work remotely as you're sort of used to working in a disparate way already? Yeah, we were certainly built for having individuals and teams work uh, in different environments. And secondly, you know, with small teams, uh, we, we tend to see our talent on the road and traveling quite a bit. So we've just used the, our core resources to supporting these disparate teams in, in various locations and their ability to travel. And so we, we've always uh, had a model set up to deal with you know, different groups and different thinkers, and they all process information in, in different ways. So in, in essence, we're built for a, a changing environment and, and different viewpoints. So I, I, I think it, it hasn't really disrupted artisan partners as much as others. Without fixating on this, because I think the future of asset management hopefully will be much bigger than just what has happened over the course of 2020. But I do think there are some lessons to take away from it. And as somebody who is in charge of setting the agenda for the company, do you envision things such as greater levels of working from home? Will there be less international travel even? Have, you, have these things even on your radar at the moment? Yeah, certainly. We, we talk about it quite a bit um, of, you know, how people are going to interact in the future. And, you know, the, the model that I described earlier in the 90s has really filled out. There's a whole array of um, asset management models today. And um, I don't think people have talked about how much our industry has changed and allowing people to work in various environments. And it, it's really the if you really look at the various models, the, the two I described at the beginning have been filled out because an enormous amount of private equity has come in to back individuals and create uh, more and differentiated investment managers. And then on the other side, you see a lot of hedge funds uh, creating these open architecture models, um, you know, the likes of a Millennium or a Citadel or a Ballyazny, and they've basically created almost the, the gig economy uh, inside of asset management. So the, the array of options talents have um, to plug in either into a fully integrated firm, be backed by cap capital out in the marketplace to be supported by Artisan or to plug into uh, one of these uh, hedge funds for a period of time has created a lot of options for individuals. And going forward, given the environment we're working in, I think the array of models are going to keep expanding. Uh, and how you think about talent is going to have to be dynamic. And we've always been open to 
finding talent for wherever it resides and not be so dogmatic that you have to be in New York or you have to be in London. I mean, we quite like that someone's uh, in a small city somewhere in the world and can think differently and have first principles and not really run with the herd in a, a crowded trade. The, those are quite interesting to us. Um, and I think that we're going to find more individuals that are in different locations and they don't want to operate in major cities. With regard to travel, uh, just to answer that, the second part of your question, I, I do think travel is going to be needed. I do think part of uh, fundamental research uh, requires um, uh, depth of, uh, of knowledge on companies and their operations and meeting the people that, that run those companies. So uh, travel is, uh, is certainly going to come back, uh, maybe not at the exact same level it used to be for research, but it, it's going to be needed. And um, so, so I do think that will come back. Sure. So I was going to pick up on the, the idea of uh, the gig economy and the the gig economy within asset management because and also people being away from the the main centers because i'm not fixating on lewis kaufman i interviewed him at the start of the year mm -hmm. if i understand correctly he swapped santa fe for san francisco which aren't traditional powerhouses of finance but it, it shows where there are there is talent and i mean he's proven that because when i interviewed him it was the fact he was the top performing emerging market equity manager over one three and five years but he's not in what you'd consider traditional bases so are you out talent scouting for people in these sort of unknown areas or are you just waiting for i'm sorry this is a long rambling question but it's the idea of are you what you consciously on the lookout for people who may be doing well away from prying eyes yeah we we, we certainly um offer flexibility and, and i think that um a lot of asset managers go back to that integrated model that they have one location and uh, they want every individual to be in one location so that they can leverage the ideas uh, of all parties, which which is you know a, a good model. You know, uh, there's the the beauty of asset management and uh, is there's a proven history of different philosophies, different structures, different ways to make money. But we we also know people are different too, and not everybody wants to do you know just be in one structure, and so. We offer flexibility. We offer, you know, do you want to work in a, a large group or a small group? And most people that we look at want to be in a much smaller group. And do you, do you want to be in the city you're in, or would you rather be in another city to get away from uh, the, the, the group think? Uh, we offer that flexibility. And I think um, that, that's in a very attractive feature. So we're not just specifically seeking people in, in small cities but uh we are much more open than other firms probably the annoying sporting side of me was hoping to be able to put a sort of money ball spin on this if you're trying to find undervalued people in un overlooked areas to add to your team but i think the reality is it is much more nuanced than that so i'll step away from a forced analogy on that front no it's uh, it i think we 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 do like it quite a bit and we we have found uh talent and we have a a, a great team in milwaukee uh, Wisconsin. We have a team down in Atlanta. Uh, we have a team in Denver, Colorado. I mean, we, we are open and we do find individuals in uh, different locations and we will always seek that. Um, and we always think on you know, our approach to people, we, we borrow heavily from, you know, behavioral economics and the idea that individuals do not conform just to a, a you know, like a uniform rational uh, model. Uh, we think everyone is different and individuals also change over time. And we have to create an organization that 
takes into account this realization. And so I, I steal quite heavily from the likes of a, a Richard Thaler, who you know wrote a book uh, on misbehaving of how individuals just don't conform. And we, we quite like those individuals. We want individuals that think differently, um, that act outside of the box, and we're willing to embrace that and create various structures and teams to enhance that thinking. And if we can enhance that thinking with, with these individuals and then provide them an environment for more time to invest, I think we, we build ourselves a competitive advantage. And that's why we've created you know, nine teams. These are only nine teams. We don't have a 10th or 11th that we're hiding because it didn't work. Um, we embrace who they are and then we resource it and create the environment to succeed with the idea of always trying to save time so that they have the ability to, to invest and use their judgment. With that, I think it leads nicely because you talked there about uh, Richard Thaler and I know, um, you, you're a big fan of the behavioral economic side of things. But also when I was researching this, there are a lot of things that come from the way that it looks like you've developed and shaped the firm that are very culturally driven. I, I was reading a document this morning, Fostering an Investment Culture. You've also talked about thoughtful growth. How much do you think that sort of cultural element of an asset management, how important is that for an asset manager, the cultural aspect of things? I think it's it's absolutely critical. Um, you know, we always you know say over and over again who we are, and it's important um, not only for our clients uh, but also our employees and our investors, uh, so that we establish a culture. And we we really try to establish a culture of investments. And we always say we're in the th- we always say we're in three business lines. Um, we say you know we're in the business of investments. We're in the invest. We're in the business of people, and we're in the business of trust. Um, and the first is, is key, that you, you have to be focused on investments, that this is what we do day to day. Our job is to you know, act as a fiduciary entrusted by individuals and clients with their assets to compound that over time uh, to the set expectations that we put in front of uh, clients. And our goal there is to then create environments for people to invest and Secondly, it's to then find great people and then, you know, build this level of trust across the organization. And, you know, that knowledge of knowing who you are and establishing that culture, you know, is critical across the organization. I hear a lot on my side of things because I speak to fund selectors and they're very keen on the idea that you've got to make sure that that fund manager is coming from an area where they are either properly uh, I mean, speaking crudely, they're probably reimbursed for their efforts, but also that they feel comfortable, they are encouraged, they are able, they're not stifled. Because also another part of what I do is I cover a lot of fund manager moves. And as much as it's never really outwardly said, there are occasions where a manager has left because they didn't enjoy where they were working. So I think the, the cultural aspect is hugely important, especially from uh, if you're going to be working somewhere day to day. So it looks like you've put a lot of effort into that. And is it something you... Do you feel in your time that you've helped improve that or did Artisan already have a good existing framework when you became CEO? We had a, a, a great framework when, when I came on board. Um, our founder, Andy Ziegler, uh, established good core principles. Um, I think you have to be you know, dynamic around these core principles um, and be thoughtful um, with the, the pace of growth. And I, we use a term thoughtful growth and it really establishes a, a level of patience, which I think you know bleeds into our culture. And when we bring on 
a new investment team or launch a new strategy, you know, we're very happy to wait and establish the, the right people, the, the right resources, build the right track record, bring that to market and find the right clients on the right terms and establish over a three and five year business, a, a sound uh, team and strategy for clients to trust. And what you find is too many uh, firms trying to launch a strategy and figure out how quick can they cover their expenses um, to start making money on the strategy. And so they'll find talent, uh, put the strategy to market, and then run the person around the world trying to get uh, a few million dollars here or $10 million there. And what you're doing is you're taking this individual away from building the core foundation and building a solid track record. And we all know that it, it, it really requires a few years to build the right record for clients to trust you. So why would you, why would you try to rush this to market? You should be patient and you should be thoughtful. And that approach has served us extraordinarily well. Um, and I think it's a, a big reason why you know, we've had the stability of the teams we do. It's a really good point because, again, sorry to keep bringing things back to our side of things, but we do meet a lot of fund managers who are doing the whirlwind. They're, they're coming over to the to Europe for five days to meet people. And it's, I always find it fascinating when they're doing that right at the start of things because then I suppose they have to strike a balance because you need visibility and you need those assets to get up and running. But you also need to manage the money and build. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation as well. It is. And uh, we've we've taken a very patient approach to that. Uh, with our belief that we've uh, we've found the right team, the right talent. We, if we do the right things, um, you know, they'll, the assets will come to us. And especially in today's information or digital age, you can get your information out there. And you know, Artisan's done this now with nine teams, with eighteen strategies, um, and we've you know, created a good reputation for talent to come join us. And when we launch strategies, there's a level of trust because we've been thoughtful about that. Uh, and that goes back to our brand. And you can say that even goes back to our culture. Um, so does culture matter? Yes. Does your brand matter? Yes. That, you know, that the actions you take to bring things to market and in a thoughtful manner? Yes. And I, I think you just need to be patient and do it over uh, the right time frame. And we all talk about time frames, um, and we all know time frames have been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And we just try to fight that with uh, good old-fashioned patience. Just looking at the situation as it is, and this is a bit of a hypothetical question, Eric. So apologies, but have did COVID nineteen derail any plans you had for the company this year? Was there anything you were likely to bring on? into place that you now delayed or even had to shelve because it just is not feasible for whatever reason? Um, there's some um, investment talent that we're looking at around the world that has probably delayed uh, our actions while we can get on uh, video conference calls and Zoom and interact. Uh, we can you know, build uh, relationships in different ways. Um, you know, some some groups that we've been looking at, you know, they, they need to focus on uh, their their clients and their track records and travel is limited. So there's been a bit of disruption there, but I would call it a, you know, a delay, which um, I don't mind. Um, it gives you more time to really understand who you're talking to and also 
for them to understand who you are. Um, but I, I would have to say it's pretty minimal uh, disruption. Uh, we've, we've had great interaction with clients. We've had uh, great interaction with new investment talent that we're looking at. In many cases, it's, it, it's quite interesting that you're, you're just zooming into each other's homes and your life and your kids are running around and you actually get to know someone you know, much faster and quicker under this environment than you would going to an office in a very sterile environment. And everybody has their, you know, so to speak, uh, work game face on, and there's just this jockeying going on in the meeting, and and now you're just jumping into people's lives and really getting to know each other. Oh, that's that's my wife coming in, and that's my kids over there, and this is this is this is how I live, and that, that, that's quite refreshing. Have you had any Zoom uh, Zoom embarrassing moments? Have you had anybody appear in the background who shouldn't? Or have you had any sort of, uh, I'm thinking of that famous, I'm not sure if you saw the BBC interview in Korea where the man's wife and children barged into the background without realizing he was live on TV. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been pretty fortunate uh, on that front. Um, you know, my, uh, my wife gets out quite a bit. She's uh, part of our city council. And so she's out dealing with the, the local businesses and uh, city economy. And uh, both my uh, daughters are in college. So they, uh, uh, they're quite respectful. I think you're lucky on that front. I have a three-year-old and I've just had a call just before this where I had to pause and run off because he was desperate for some blueberries. And I'm sure having had children, you realize that at some points, blueberries are the most important thing in the world. So it was a but again, people are understanding. People realize that there's other things going on, and this is a unique circumstance. It's it's it's, it's very unique, and um, it uh, like I said, it re really gets you to know the other person on the other end. And I think everybody's uh, more aware today, you know, of other other people's um, you know structures and issues, and, and and the tolerance has to go up, which is a which is a healthy thing in a, in a people business. You know, I think you you have to bring in tolerance and you have to bring in patience um, if you want long-term healthy relationships. Just looking at the, the growth of asset management over the next few years rather than over the immediate COVID-19 period, I did one of these uh, future thinking chats with the COO of PGIM and he talked about companies falling into one of a few brackets. He talked about weightless firms, which are going to be the ones sort of similar to Artisan where you end up with people working in very different environments, working less physically together. Um, and also purposeful firms where companies pivot quite strongly to this ESG, SRI area. I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other, but do you think Artisan is moving more towards the purposeful area or do you think you're becoming, he termed it more weightless, more more technology driven? You know, I, I think it's hard to pigeon those, those two because they're trends we see across our entire firm. And, you know, my belief is that Everybody's going to use more technology and data. We're seeing it across our teams. Some are in, uh, implementing, you know, data scientists into the strategies and evolving. Then also, you know, the ESG uh, purpose um, is is another component across just fundamental research that it, it's part of uh, just entering the game. And if, if you don't bring that into your research process and start incorporating both those concepts um, of data and technology and ESG into research, you're going to be missing out. And this is, uh, you know, just like people evolve, you, you think about the evolution of active management. The definition of active management is wildly different than what it used to be. Uh, we've used the term degrees of freedom. 
And the degrees of freedom is acknowledging that you have to be much more differentiated than uh, any strategy uh, that's out there that's easily uh, indexed or uh, factor-based or replicated. You have to create uh, these, these degrees of freedom, which uh, is number of securities or the tactical movement in asset classes or um, the concentration of the portfolio. But there's various ways to look at it. Um, one growing area is the use of private securities with public securities and not delineating between those two uh, categories. So I, I think the evolution of our industry is going to incorporate data technology. It's going to incorporate uh, ESG and purpose, and it's going to incorporate different forms of investing that used to be in separate categories. And we need to be open-minded how to evolve with that. No different of how we evolve with, uh, evolve with people. Otherwise, um, you will get boxed out. Absolutely. I think many, many things are dynamic in this industry. And I think uh, keeping a company fighting fit, especially as, as things move and things change over both the short and the long term. I was going to say, I think you've got a challenge on your hands, Eric, but it sounds like it's, it's something you're, you're more than keen to take on. I think if we just you know keep our focus on like like I said the three things uh, that we we always stand by, which is you know investments and really think how investments are evolving and how to serve our clients and how to think about people and how to build a trust. And if we can do those things over three things over time, uh, be consistent in our discipline, but yet dynamic in how we deliver that, uh, we'll we'll be very well positioned. Eric, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for taking the time. All right, Chris, thank you very much. Have a good day. There we go. A big thanks to Eric and also to all the guests who took the time to join me over the course of this first series. You can revisit all 13 episodes on the CityWire Selector website, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll aim to return with another series later in the year. And if you have anyone you think may be relevant, or any of you yourself fit the bill as someone with strong views on the future, please don't hesitate in making contact. Uh, so that's me, Chris Slowly. Uh, see slowly at citywire.co.uk. And there we have it. Goodbye for now.